Hello and welcome to our final Bible study program for 2018. Uh, this is Search for Truth. Thanks for joining us and this program is your Bible study time with your Bible teacher Brian Johnston. The series we continue today with study number three is Take Your Mark's Gospel and this time Brian is focusing on the impact of Jesus' teaching. So let's go to Brian now to begin. Thanks John. The question that was once asked was, what was the greatest speech ever given? The person answering was Robert Schlesinger, managing editor for opinion at US News and World Report. This is what he said. Most people who know me and know that at best I'm agnostic might be surprised by my answer. For sheer reach and influence, it's hard to argue against Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It comes down to how you define greatest. I chose to interpret it in terms of the breadth of the effect it's had through history. It's hard to beat. Whether or not you believe he was divine, the son of the Nazarene carpenter is one of the most influential figures in history. In this study, we'll be considering the impact of Jesus' teaching. There's not a whole lot of teaching by Jesus recorded for us in Mark's Gospel, certainly not compared to the five major blocks of recorded teaching that we find in Matthew's Gospel. Mark's record of Jesus' life and ministry is short on talk and long on action, with that action repeatedly being characterised as decisive and effective. Watch out everywhere throughout this Gospel for Mark's use of the word immediately or straight away. But let's begin by picking up on Robert Schlesinger's hesitation over the divinity or deity of Jesus of Nazareth. We previously observed that Napoleon had no such hesitation, and it was typically black and white for the sharp mind of Oxford and Cambridge scholar and author C.S. Lewis. He said there were only three possible choices, Jesus is Lord, or liar, or lunatic. There are no other options, such as he was only a good man and a good teacher, but nothing more than that. Lewis's argument went something like this. Jesus claims he is the Son of God. If that's true, then that's who he is. He's Lord. If it's false, and he knew it was false, then that makes him a liar. On the other hand, if it's false, and he didn't even know it was false, then that makes him a lunatic. The Gospel by Mark is defending Lewis's first option, that the claim that Jesus is the Son of God is the correct one. The whole Gospel is written to support that awesome claim. The life described so fully and beautifully in its pages is the most wonderful life the planet has seen. It is most decidedly not the life of a con man or a deranged individual. As we've seen, Mark supports the claim that Jesus is Lord by giving us example after example of Jesus' authority, following on from the stunning opening claim that Jesus is the Son of God. We've already begun to track some of these, starting with the authority by which he could command the allegiance of his followers. That's now followed by a demonstration of his authority to teach. We'll let Mark take up the story of Jesus' life. In chapter 1 and verse 21, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and began to teach. 
They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed, so that they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Those who heard Jesus teach were certainly impressed. They were amazed at the authority that came through in his teaching. It was so unlike all the teaching that they were used to, which was the teaching of the Jewish scribes. How was Jesus unlike the scribes? Later, in his public ministry, Jesus himself would say, Every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Commenting on this, one Bible expert says, The mere scribe, rabbinical in spirit, produces only the old and stale. The disciple of the kingdom, like the master, is always fresh-minded, yet knows how to value all old spiritual treasures of holy writ. In what sense was Jesus' teaching new? In the sense of the freshness of its quality. Bible teaching wasn't new to these Jewish audiences. From the time of Ezra the scribe, others had done that. But Jesus wasn't merely repeating. He was speaking with the authority of the author. But there's more. For as Jesus was speaking, he was challenged. This was way beyond the kind of heckling a speaker might occasionally encounter if what he says is thought-provoking. It came from a member of the audience whose life and whole being was possessed by an unclean, that is, an evil spirit. In the Jewish religion of the time, obsessed as it was with ritual cleanliness and ceremonial cleansings, it's ironic to think of how in their midst, in their Jewish church assembly or synagogue, here was such evident uncleanness. Surely the powerlessness of their religious tradition was being contrasted here by Mark with the power of Jesus. The exorcism by Jesus that followed was to illustrate the power of his teaching and to give a definite clue as to the identity of the one who was teaching that day. The demon spoke for all its dark realm, using the term us. It had no difficulty identifying the Lord in stark contrast to the humans present, which is a further irony. So, to commanding allegiance and to teaching, healing is now added as the next example of God-like authority. Remember, this is Mark's apologetic, his defence for Jesus as the divine Son of God. It's sometimes said that Jesus never claimed to be God. I want you to consider if that's an accurate assessment based on how the second chapter of Mark's Gospel opens. So it's Mark chapter 2, verse 1. When he, that's Jesus, had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. 
and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Surely there could not have been a more emphatic way for Jesus to press his claim to be fully God as well as fully human. He affirmed only God can forgive sins, then proceeded to do so. We need to know our sins forgiven, just like this man, so we too can have a relationship with God. Early in Mark's Gospel, Jesus invokes the imagery of a wedding. People love weddings, don't they? It's delightfully reassuring to discover that God also wants a relationship with us. In Mark 2 and verse 18, we read, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and they came and said to Jesus, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear results. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and the skins as well but one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Weddings, of course, are all about happiness, not mourning. How inappropriate it would have been for Jesus' disciples to fast while their Lord was still with them. And from the illustration about the patches on wineskins, we learn the need for totally new thinking. Fermenting wine, as it produces gas, demands flexibility in the completely new skin that contains it. My thoughts are not your thoughts, God says in Isaiah chapter 55. Jesus didn't come to bolster human religious tradition. Jesus brought something new that their previous inflexible religious tradition couldn't contain. There's an acknowledgement here of the difficulty in teaching people who have long held and fixed ideas. The old is good enough, they say. Jesus came to call us to repentance, to a change of mind, to God's fresh and true teaching, may I ask, is the Bible now speaking freshly to you?
The book which accompanies this series is called Take Your Mark's Gospel and it contains all the transcripts of the talks in this series and it's available on request. It's yours for the asking. If you like a copy, just write in by post or email. We'd also be pleased to hear any comments or questions you might have after listening today. I'll be giving you the contact details shortly if you've a pen and paper to hand, but the talk you've heard today is also available to download via the internet in audio or text format. To obtain the book, simply ask for Take Your Mark's Gospel, and you can do this by email or by post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4 8DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. I hope, like me, you enjoyed today's study in Mark's Gospel, and you'll be able to join us again next week when Brian's subject is How to Listen Well and Gain Insight. So, it's a Happy New Year to you all, from all of us here in the studio, our Bible teacher Brian, our producer David, our singers and me John. And as always, may God richly bless you. Oh.